Welcome to Talk is Jericho. It's the pot of thunder and rock and roll. And I've got another great documentary to tell you guys about. This one's called Hard Way, The Legacy of Deathmatch Wrestling. It's an incredible in-depth, behind-the-scenes look at deathmatch wrestling, the uh, strange culture behind it and uh, how dedicated all the performers are to deathmatch wrestling, uh, the brutal matches, the injuries, the performers behind these matches, and why these guys do what they do week after week. The doc was directed and produced by Jeff Waldridge. He filmed everything himself as well. It's available now on DVD and video on demand. You can also stream it at smartmarkvideo.com. Today, I've got the creator and the director and the filmer, the cameraman, Jeff Waldridge, along with legendary deathmatch wrestler Madman Pondo, one of the pioneers of the scene, and the up-and-coming G. Raver, one of the uh, upstarts that's going to keep the uh, deathmatch culture alive. They're going to talk about the documentary and about the deathmatch scene in the culture, like I said. They reveal how they got into deathmatch wrestling, why they love performing in this genre. And, of course, they talk about some of their more brutal matches involving pencils, light tubes, vats of rubbing alcohol, thumbtacks, and pine cones. That's right, pine cones. Madman Pondo and G. Raver also share stories about some of the matches and weapons gone wrong, some of their crazier injuries, fan requests, and why they refuse to give it up. Madman Pondo also announced that the Masters of Pain tournament will be returning next month, June 12th, in Campbell's Creek at Skateland in Charleston, West Virginia. All of the info is on the IWA East Coast Facebook page. Go check that out and buy tickets if you're in the area. And check out Talk is Jericho right now with Jeff Waldridge, Madman Pondo, and G. Raver. Deathmatch Wrestling right here on Talk is Jericho. A few weeks ago, I got a, a, an email, uh, however it was, from Jeff Waldridge, who was working on a bunch of different things, and he just done a documentary called Hard Way. Now, Hard Way is about this whole culture of the deathmatch. And it's interesting, Jeff, because I had just done the narration for Dark Side of the Ring. They did an episode on Nick Gage. So I had never really been familiar with Nick, and kind of watching that was kind of the precursor to why I thought it would be very interesting to talk about this. And we have Madman Pondo, one of the pioneers of the field uh, of the deathmatch, and then G. Raver, who's kind of one of the hottest up-and-coming, the new generation. So, Jeff, let's just get into this, because I honestly, and and I say this with much respect to all of you guys, uh, especially to Pondo and, and and G, I do not know anything, really, about the deathmatch culture. And I say that because it's a whole way of life for a lot of you guys. And I have respect for that, and I want to know about it. So, Jeff, why don't you start out and tell us kind of how you got into making this movie about this whole semi-genre of wrestling? Well, the I've been involved with the wrestling business since I was 16. You know, I worked some and then, of course, got into production and things. But it's crazy enough that I was actually uh, making another documentary I did for a friend of mine who wrestles locally called Larry D. He's on Impact. And I was doing his documentary, and we were at, in the backstage of IWA Mid-South. And they had just had one of their tournaments, and there was all of this carnage. And um, I was looking around, I was talking to Larry, and I said, there's a story to be told here. And, of course, I'd watched death matches since, uh, you know, Cactus Jack and Terry Funk in the Japanese tournament. But um, I said, there's a story to be told. I knew Pondo from years. You know, we'd known each other for years. And uh, so I started to reach out to the guys and do the research. And uh, G. Raver was one of the first that I kind of made contact with. And, man, he opened so many doors, him and Pondo and Tremont. 
uh, really opened doors for, for me to get into like CZW and, and uh, GCW and different things and open the doors to these guys that you see in the documentary. So I felt that the fans really needed, instead of a black eye on the genre, I think that they needed a positive story. And, and that's what I tried to tell with the hard way. Well, and I think you really, you really uh, did tell that story because you see kind of the humanity behind it, but also too the, the respect level between the competitors and all that sort of thing. I mean, it, it's still wrestling. It's just a whole different. To me, it was like almost like making a movie about hardcore Mexican lucha libre. The crazy thing about it is that's what I wanted to do, and and I've been told so many times, and and they're like, we've seen horrible deathmatch documentaries, or we've seen horrible deathmatch uh, segments. But they were like, we, we was not expecting what you produced and what came out. And that's what I wanted to do. If you notice the documentary itself, it has very non-typical music. It's not like heavy metal or death metal. Mm, right. I wanted to really capture the humanity of these guys and the, and the stuff that they put on the line. I mean, their, their whole lives are on the line with, with one wrong bump. So I really wanted to capture their stories and who they were. Now, Pondo, I mean, your name has been around for a long time, and I've heard it, and we've never actually met face. Actually, none of us have met face to face between me and any of you guys. Chris, me and you met each other before you did a Fozzie show at the strip joint called Trixie's in Louisville, Kentucky. I remember. I remember meeting you now. Yes. Yeah, and uh, you told me to to write in my book that you, uh, I was your favorite deathmatch wrestler. Which was big to me because you know Cactus Jack, so I'm more I'm more known than that guy in Chris Jericho's <laughs> it's, mind. It's, Hell yeah. it's, it's a place called Trixie's, which is a strip club on one side and actually a really cool venue on the other, and they're connected. I didn't even know there was a strip club on the other side. I wasn't sure. I wasn't aware of that. <laughs> yeah, we'll go with that. We'll go with that. All but, right. but you, but but your your name, uh, like I said, I, I've I've heard it for years, and, and obviously the brief meeting that we had. But you're kind of one of the, let's say pioneers, but for for kind of the new generation of deathmatch, you know, performers, you're one of the the originals uh, over the last fifteen twenty years. I'll uh, put it this way: so, of course, uh, you you know what tape trading is. I was doing a lot of tape trading. So I was getting all the deathmatch videos and uh, I knew that that's what I wanted to do. I wanted to be a deathmatch worker. And then um, Ian and Axel at ECW started doing the Taipei and the Bob Wire Bats. Well, then one of them guys left that company. I found him. So in a way, I'm number three in America to start doing the deathmatch mm -hmm. stuff. And and that was before social media, so it was so much harder back then to uh, get the shit out there. But the cool thing was we did a match at a truck stop called The Four Sides of Pain, which had bob wire glass thumbtacks and mousetraps. And that made four or five magazines. And back then, that was your wrestling social media. And then people wanted to start knowing what Madman Pondo looked like, so people started coming out. Of course, I was probably disappointed, but either way, they started coming out to see what Madman Pondo looked like. And how about you? Uh, should I call you G, or should I call you Raver, or should I? You can. <laughs> all of which have already been used by everybody. They either call me G or they call me Raver. That's it. So, G, what attracted you to this form of, of pro wrestling? I'm going to say that, obviously, I started off with the basics that everyone started off with, but I think 
what it ended up happening was going to uh, an early Maryland championship wrestling show. And while I was there, you know, obviously that opened the, the floodgates for the idea that there were other products out there that I could basically obtain or figure out from. And uh, I literally started looking up the Japanese, you know, federations, FMW, that sort of thing. And I'll be honest, one of the early things that I saw was uh, the ICW Strangle Mania. <laughs> and, and I wondered where that footage came from. That was that was definitely the first thing, but that was the most easily obtainable thing uh, because there was still during that duration where tapes were still being sold or if video was still at my mall set up at a kiosk, I think at the time. So then I bring was, was that the match? Was that the match with Axel versus Ian? Is that what you're talking about? Stranglehold, you said uh, it was no it was Stranglemania. It was actually the insane clown posses. Ah, gotcha. Dubbed gotcha, over, gotcha. you know, uh, Cactus Jack and. And, oh, uh, I got you. This, Japanese footage. Yeah, they did the commentary over top yes. of those death matches. I remember <laughs> that. That's an old school tape trading uh, standard, yeah. right? Yeah. This face was the cover of part two, right? Part here. two. Yes, I was about to. Dis- <laughs> I was about to segue into that. So yeah. I was. It's why it didn't sell very well because this was the face of part two, right? I was going to say, yeah. People people returned it in protest when they found out that was the cover. That's right. <laughs> Damn right. Damn With right. With that fly. I that took fly? my own copy back. <laughs> But yeah, so, I mean, really, that was just the segue into it and and wondering where that footage came from and finding more. I found myself not only loving uh, regular wrestling, um, I, I also found that I had a love for <laughs> exploding bo- barbed wire and, mm. and you know, uh, bed of nails. And that, to me, just seemed so, I don't know, there was something visceral about it. I, I, I'm a horror movie fan. And, and of course, I'm like, you know, but I. In my mind, I didn't think I would uh, go in that direction right away. So, Jeff, would you say that the death match kind of uh, started basically in Puerto Rico, kind of in the 70s, early 80s? Yeah, that, that's where you really got that style. But when you really look back further than that, they were doing some crazy stuff in Memphis back in the day. Right. So if you right, look right. at Memphis, then that kind of evolved where Paul Lee and Eddie Gilbert went to ECW. And then, of course, Japan. So, I mean, I'll tell you my craziest thing is I had a friend come to school when I was in high school and he said that all of this is going on. It's got Cactus Jack and Terry Funk in it. He was talking about the Japanese tournament. And I was like, there ain't no way this is real. There's no way. And then, of course, he brought me the tape and I was like, this is insane. And then that's how I kind of stumbled upon the American stuff with Pondo and and Axel and Ian. And um, I mean, it's just when you see this stuff and you see it on tapes, it's almost unbelievable. And I know what G-Raver is talking about with like, FMW and Big Japan because they were doing like cactus, you know, desert death matches with an alligator death matches and piranha death matches. I mean, they really went crazy with that. And I mean, Pondo got to live a little of that. But yeah, Puerto Rico was really where a lot of that, you know, really started with the the really edgy uh, blood and guts style. You know, what's funny is that my first Japanese tour in 1991, when I was only 20 years old, was for FMW. So Onita got a lot of those ideas from his time at Puerto Rico. And this obviously was pre exploding anything. And, and, but, but I remember my very first night, the death match concept was still having basically like shoot karate guys and kickboxers against normal wrestlers with a lot of blood. And my first night in, they said juice. I never juiced before. I had no idea how to freaking make a blade, but yet here I am, you know, 
30 years later, I'm the, one of the only guys in AEW who knows how to make a blade. So if someone needs a blade, <laughs> they come to Jericho to do the same way that actually Horace Boulder taught me how to do it in the dressing room in, in 1991. Thank, thankfully, he didn't give me a sword where I butchered myself because I didn't know the f-ing difference either way. <laughs> well, if you notice, a hard way is a play on words, you know, in, in the business, if you if you get busted open hard way. Uh, but if you notice nowadays, that's the way it happens a lot of a lot of times now with the light tubes and the gusset plates and different things like that. I mean, it's it's a lot of hard way uh, action right. out there. Pondo, let's talk about what it's like to be a deathmatch specialist and what it's done for your career and how it's hindered your career. We'll get into that, but first I want to say thanks to rockauto.com for making this episode possible. If you're a do-it-yourself car mechanic, then you need rockauto.com. Rock Auto offers the lowest possible price to everyone, chain stores and professionals, and do-it-yourselfers like us. Well, like you maybe. I'm still trying to learn. RockAuto.com always offers the lowest possible prices rather than changing prices based on what the market will bear, like what the airlines do. Uh, RockAuto.com is for everybody and does not require a membership or an account login. RockAuto.com is a family business has been serving auto parts customers online for 20 years. Go to rockauto.com to shop for auto and body parts from hundreds of manufacturers. The rockauto.com catalog is very easy to use and navigate. You can see all the parts available for your vehicle and then choose the brands and prices that work best for you. And like I said, the prices at rockauto.com are the same for everybody. Rockauto.com has everything from engine control modules to brake parts and tail lamps. You can get motor oil and new carpet and have everything you need delivered right to your front door. Go to rockauto.com now and be sure to type Jericho in their How Did You Hear About Us box so they know I sent you. That's rockauto.com and type Jericho in the How Did You Hear About Us box. rockauto.com, amazing selection, reliably low prices, all the parts your car will ever need. Pondo, do you feel that like for your, your career... And being so, so having so many death matches, did that help your career, or did that put you in, in a certain box where you couldn't expand into other ways? Did it help or hinder being kind of a death match specialist? It totally helped. Uh, before, I mean, you know, I, I'm not a high flyer. I'm not a. a I don't have a great body. Never have. And uh, these death matches, you know, it, it let me live a dream. I'm just a small town kid from Florida, Illinois, but, uh, uh, there for a while death matches was, um, pretty big because of uh tape trading, like I was saying, and then things started went going down. Well, then companies started, uh, bringing death match tournaments and, uh, it started coming back up again and then COVID hit and it went back down. Mm. Well, now I would say death matches and I'm pretty sure G Raver would say the same thing. I'm sure Jeff would say the same thing. Death matches now are at an all time high because asylum revolution wrestling in Indianapolis are doing um, game changer out of Philly, ICW, no holds bar out of Philly. We mentioned Juggalo Championship Wrestling, Horror Slam Wrestling, No Peace, Unsanctioned, Ruthless Pro Wrestling, Anna Fight Underground. All these companies are all doing their own style of, uh, I mean, some of them have, a lot of them have normal matches, but now a lot of people hated on the idea, but I love the idea that AEW set their uh, pay-per-view around a death match. Right. 
because that helps that helps us become a little more mainstream and and maybe people won't hate on us as but because we really do get hated on and so now uh, there are all these companies doing death matches the tournaments are coming out uh, i've even because death matches started getting so high i this year 2021 and bringing back the masters of pain and we've damn near sold that thing out already this deathmatch worldrides.com is a whole web page dedicated to deathmatch workers and their t-shirts and the, they're, they're selling the shit out of them so to me deathmatch workers and deathmatch matches are at an all-time high that's what I, I would say and when you look at it uh chris like there's some shows that are indie shows they can't draw 100 people and you've got deathmatch shows that are selling out you know 400 500 people uh selling out high school gymnasiums and i mean it's insane to see the the fan following and they'll travel they travel all over the country to see this stuff some even go to japan when they tour over there so i mean it, it's got a crazy following and that's one thing i had to capture well, that's one thing too. Is is uh, you know you mentioned Pondo about AEW having the death match with Kenny and 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 Mox, and I believe we probably did our highest uh, buy rate ever because of it. And and once again, the the bombs at the end notwithstanding, that was a, a very very well worked death match. To where I mean, see, people seeing that on the mainstream level are going, "What the hell is going on with this?" And that might help in some of the perception. What Pondo said, I want I want Raver to follow up on this. Do you get looked down upon by a lot of people, uh, other workers, fans, critics? Uh, do you feel that you kind of get uh, crucified, no pun intended, because of your deathmatch performances? You know, I think that there is, uh, you know, uh, places for that to happen. But it, it's funny because kind of when you're playing to your demographic, I don't think, to me, you're not seeing it as much. And you're definitely not seeing it as much now than you you were, you know, in maybe in the past where people maybe spoke out about it more. Obviously, anything that that involved me really was, uh, you know, with uh, I don't know if I want to say names, but uh, old manager from <laughs> from from uh, Jim Cornette. Yeah, <laughs> I'm glad you said it. Thanks, buddy. I appreciate you. Uh, yeah, that was my biggest critic, actually. Well, the door's the past... open now. Yeah, the door's open now. Um, <laughs> and that was my biggest critic. And that was my, uh, you know, and, and that was more just less, you know, I knew how to handle that situation. That was just kind of what it was. But that was the only thing I had seen in quite some time other than an occasional here and there. But your fans are playing to you. You play your demographic. You're not going to notice that kind of you know, thing. And I'm sure there's people that don't like me. And I'm sure there's people that don't like deathmatch wrestling, but I know just as many guys that are pure wrestlers or, you know, never would do the deathmatch wrestling that also sit and they love deathmatch wrestling and they watch it and they, you know, they, they appreciate it. And they, they say, wow, you know, that was amazing. And just like uh, Pondo was saying, I literally did a no rope barbed wire the same weekend. I, on Saturday, for GCW take care event with me and Jimmy Lloyd. And then you guys had Sunday, you right, know, right. It was a weird, you know, dichotomy. I think once again, like understanding the, the, the culture of this, there's no loss of respect on my end. I just, just not something that I really can envision myself doing, but yet 
when the time was right, when I had the Ambrose Asylum match with Mox and someone had to take the thumbtack bump to make it make sense since I was losing, he suggested it. And I'm like, dude, you want to take a bump in the thumbtacks? Go for it until Vince changed the finish. And now I'm losing. It's like, well, he can't take a bump in the thumbtacks and still win. Guess who's got to do it? This idiot. So I took the thumbtack well, bump. Sure and I was like, well, well, yeah. Beyond has to so, do it. So I, get, I get why you need to do it sometimes, but are you guys ever not scared, but do you, do you, are you ever bothered and worried about some of these bumps that you have to take with light tube or whatever it may be, Pondo? Some time ago at a tournament of death at CCW, backstage it just looked like uh, a war zone of weapons that all these fans had made. And I sat back, and I'm, I'm a thinker and a watcher, and I watched all these people uh, go around, and I always want to be remembered at these tournaments. And uh, all these guys was walking past this one weapon, and they kept saying, oh, I'm not doing that, I'm not doing that. Well, Necro Butcher, the most bravest deathmatch worker that I know, looked at this one weapon and said, oh, no, I'm not with that. And it was a bed of pencils, all right? Well, that, that told me, okay, that's what I can do. It's just like a bed of nails, but it's, it's sharpened number two pencils. Oh and I told myself, okay, that's what I can do to be remembered in this uh, tournament of death. So I took a bump on those. I still have graphite in my uh, shoulder. Um, I got a piece, uh, a pencil this far from, from my uh, asshole that brown oh. goes down into my crack. It looks like an instant. And, it, and you see it in the documentary. You do see it, yeah. <laughs> yeah. He hit flush. He hit flush so the thing about it is i have heard other people say because they want to follow me the um two other great guys jimmy jimmy loin jimmy chondo and uh neil diamond cutter they was talking about they wanted to do pencil boards but here's the problem with that when i landed on that somehow that stuff got in my bloodstream right and me up for six solid days like six days of agony so I'm not one to be telling anybody, hey, don't do that. But when I heard those two guys was going to land on those pencils, I called them both and said, guys, don't land on those. Don't, don't, be, don't be me. Don't be dumb. But, uh, yeah, pencils and uh, razor, razor wire. I really do not see the need to uh, do razor wire because bob wire scratches you. Razors cut the shit out of you. So I'm, I'm not big on razor wired, and I'll never do pencil board ever in my life again. Ever. And you don't care much about alcohol pools either. Or alcohol, yeah. Uh, so a wrestler, I don't even want to mention his name, threw me down in this uh, pit of rubbing alcohol, and I swallowed oh I don't know God. how much of it. And uh, my skin turned all white. And uh, I had to go outside, and after I puked, my color came back. But uh, people was gonna send me to the to the hospital. But now, if somebody's just cleaning their body off with rubbing alcohol, and I get a whiff of it, it's it's like uh, if you've ever been drunk and you never want to drink that whiskey or whatever again, it's kind of the same thing. Kind of makes me ill now that I smell that. Well, I'll make a promise, Pondo. I'll never take a pencil board bump as, as long as you don't take another pencil board bump. So that makes two of us that will never do a pencil board bump. There it is right there. <laughs> if he was right here, 
he was right there. We would be pinky to pinky, pal. <laughs> I remember when I was a little kid in school, they said, don't, if you get stabbed with a pencil, it could give you lead poisoning. Don't do that. And here you are getting the typical lead poisoning, man. Terrible. It was so, so bad. I can't even, I can't even explain the agony of six days of that. All right, Raver, we're going to get to your worst bump stories next. But before we do, someone who might be able to help both of your bodies recover from some of these crazy matches is Diamond Dallas Page. His DDPY program worked wonders for me, and I bet it can do the same for you guys. Dallas is so sure that DDPY can help everyone and anyone that he's given everybody free access to the DDPY app for seven days, and then he's one-upping that with 20% off a DDPY subscription when you sign up at ddpyoga.com slash Jericho. This is a great offer, and as you guys know, I do DDPY everywhere and anywhere, uh, backstage at AEW, backstage at Fozzy Gigs, hotel rooms, my own living room, my backyard, my front yard. It's a killer workout you can do at your own pace. It's good for any age, any skill level, and you don't have to be an athlete to do DDP yoga. This is for everybody. It's so easy to get started. You just download the DDPY app, and you go. You can get it for iOS or Android. I've got it on my phone. Then go to ddpyoga.com slash Jericho to sign up for seven days of free access to the DDPY app and take advantage of 20% off the DDPY app, all right? So you get seven days for free and then 20% off the DDPY subscription right now at ddpyoga.com slash Jericho. That's 20% off the DDPY subscription and seven days for free, ddpyoga.com slash Jericho. And don't forget to watch the inspiring story about how Dallas created the DDPY program in the new documentary, Relentless, Available now on Amazon Prime. Let Dallas and DDPY change your life like he has for thousands and thousands of others. Get on the path to healthy living and stay there. Start today at ddpyoga.com slash Jericho. That's ddpyoga.com slash Jericho. Get in the best shape of your life mentally and physically and go do it now. Raver, now it's kind of like this, like the the scene in Jaws where we're showing each other our scars. And, and what what bumps have you taken that much like Ponder or ones that you would never take again? It seemed like a good idea at the time, and now you're thinking, what a idiot I was. Oh, man, I mean, there I had more instances too where I I ended up in positions with bumps that weren't intentional, but mm-hmm. people thought they were intentional that were horrendous. And 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 one of them was. Well, in the same match that I got injured with, but I was up in a press slam uh, position uh, at a top of the ladder. um, And another guy, Justice, came, uh, Matt Justice, through the ladder, uh, through a chair, hitting the other opponent while a ladder which kind of bridged from that ladder to the rope. Yeah. Now, when I look back at it and I hit the rope, of course, bounced and then sent me flying out the middle rope and then to the floor onto my head. Oh, oh, I should have. Yeah, I should have just stayed down there then. And um, another instance was a brain buster. I took like kind of like um, uh, Generico in the corner. (laughs) And for whatever reason, while I was wrestling uh, a guy named uh, Ciclope uh, from Mexico. Now, most of the time, which I'm usually pretty good with, is the direction in which they, you know, uh, Mexico, right side, uh, right. America, left side. And I kind of adapted myself to kind of jump back and forth. Well, whenever I kind of, uh, when they come, you know, to America, it's the same thing where they adapt too. So I didn't know the body shift. I wasn't suspecting that he was going to kind of turn a different way. 
So when I hit the turnbuckle, I hit and I projected myself out into the floor, the concrete floor, and um, hit my head on the guardrail as I was coming down. Almost in a flipping position Mm -hmm. and landed. So when I... (laughs) When I look at those kind of things, those accidents, those are horrible things that weren't even really intentional to happen. But the greatest dynamic of it was what people thought I wanted it to happen. And I'm like, well, then great. Then you think I'm a nutbag to put myself in that position. Then cool. (laughs) (laughs) But hold on, though. But hold on. me. The, the, the same people could think you're a nutbag for you, what you put yourself in position for. Tell us how right. you got hurt. Tell, tell us how you got hurt. That, that, that was insane. Not only was I, I mean, I, I was on in, in the match that I did, the, the press slam happened. I was already kind of on cloud nine because I just got back from Japan. Uh, GCW did a tour, tour of Japan. I, I wrestled Jun Kasai, Kodaka. I was also in another tag match, a couple other matches in Corican Hall. But uh, me and Jun Kasai, uh, tubes, glass everywhere, like mayhem. I mean, for the mo- for what we would consider in good shape, which is which is not what the normal level is, you know, of a, of, a, of an average person. You know, we check ourselves out, but I was okay. I'm like, man, we had all that stuff. I was okay. Cut back from Japan, so I'm on cloud nine. Everything's good. We come back to Chicago uh, for the AEW. BLP GCW Starcast show before their first pay per view, and I'm like stoked to be a part of it. And we set up everything, we set up the ladder, and we're like looking at it. And me and, and uh, Jimmy Lloyd was the guy that was doing the spot with me. We did this spot a few times. We did it at Tournament of Death. We did it in Japan. Everything worked fine, and it was my idea putting tubes on the top of the very ladder, taping them, and basically hitting a brain buster on the very very top and i literally hit which usually he his arm kind of hits the tubes and sends me careening off to to the side and i have Mm -hmm. to kind of control my body as i'm going down but we did it it's been done so i'm not worried but then i said to myself in this match there's no glass this is the one spot so does this make us special to have this one spot uh that has the glass that you know or do we need it and, and I debated that moment. And that's what bothers me about that moment is I debated it and I could have backtracked. And when we went up to do it, the ladders were facing opposite sides. One had a, now these weren't your WWE, you know, these double-sided ladders, right. you know, these were painters ladders. So one side was not rungs. It was just those, you know, yeah. going up the struts, and then, yeah. yeah, the struts and then the platform to put your paint on. I had put my foot up there, but not on the planners, like not on the, for, for the paint. I kind of tucked my foot in when I originally went up to see if I could do this. And whenever I went to lift off for him to pull me up, I somehow misjudged where my foot was and I put it on the, on the, on the paint can thing and, and it gave out. And then he deadweighted. It was, the, it was all deadweight at that point. So as I'm going down, like I said, these tubes are taped on the sides. So, what essentially happens is, is when the tubes break in the middle, anytime you have tape on, on the tubes at the end, they become essentially shanks. Typically, they're pushed out of the ring, too. Right. right so right. that we don't bump on them within a match. That's usually the ref. But at the top of the ladder, I hit and I dragged my underneath my oh. arm right underneath the armpit. 
And oh. immediately I was bleeding out and I knew uh, almost instantly I panicked, grabbed my arm, went to the back. I, I last I, actually the last person I saw on the way out uh, just in panic mode was uh, a Marco stunt because he was on the show. Well, mm. he was he was hanging out and I and me and him have been friends. And I he heard me screaming like, help, help, help. Um, got to the back, stuffed, uh, you know, a towel underneath my arm and, and just kind of held it. But I started to lose consciousness. So it was kind of like pinholing slowly. We get to the hospital. I don't remember anything. Once we get out of the car here, they took me into the hospital, carried me in, put me into a wheelchair, said I was unresponsive. And uh, they, they hooked me up. And then once I kind of came to, they explained to me what I essentially may have done, which is hit my main artery and then Ugh. severed all three main nerves in my arm that control the movement to my hand. And if, if you can kind of see my movements kind of stuttered yeah. and that sort of thing, it's your ulnar uh, radial nerve uh, and I always forget the other one, but <laughs> they're yeah. all messed up. And I had to get cadaver nerves uh, put in my arm to get that to even function the way it is now. And that's basically spoken, spoken like a true mud show wrestler right there. Spoken <laughs> like a- <laughs> so the ultimate question for Pondo and G Raver is were the matches worth the injuries? Was it worth it? Before you guys answer, let me tell you what is worth the price paid. And that's anything you purchase from our friend Steven Singer. That's why his competition hates him so much and why we all love Steven Singer Jewelers. It's because Steven Singer Jewelers makes the experience of buying a diamond easier and easier, and he makes it fun. That's very important. Steven is the first ever to offer each and every guest the perfect price. You never need to wonder if you're getting the best price when you go to Steven Singer Jewelers. You never need to worry about negotiating either and whether or not your negotiating skills are good enough to get you a great price because Steven Singer Jewelers guarantees the perfect price. You're never going to pay more than the person next to you. And here's a little insider tip for you. Most jewelers mark their merchandise way up just to mark it down so that you feel like you're getting a great deal. Not Steven Singer. Do you want an important purchase like diamond jewelry to be based on your negotiating skills? I don't either. My negotiating skills are terrible, but that will never happen at Steven Singer Jewelers. Like I said, at Steven Singer Jewelers, you are guaranteed to get the perfect price all day, every day, 365 days a year. And that's why we trust Steven Singer. He makes the experience of buying a diamond so easy. So check out Steven Singer Jewelers at the other corner of 8th and Walnut in Philly or online at IHateStevenSinger.com. Steven Singer Jewelers, one place, one price. That's IHateStevenSinger.com. Jeff, I want to ask you a question quickly, but just for both Pondo and Raver, when you're talking about these injuries, because I'll listen, all of us get in this business knowing what's at stake, but those injuries that you had amongst the lead poisoning and, of course, severing these arteries, when you look back, is it one of those things where if I I do it again if I could, or are you, are you thinking to yourself, it just wasn't worth it? This wasn't worth it. Death matches have been so good to me, I wouldn't change a damn thing. Yeah, gotcha. that was six days of... Of terrible stuff, but like I said, man, my, my hometown was 5,100 people, Florida, Illinois, and I've, I've been to six different countries on their dime. I'm touched chicks. I have no business putting my hands on. I've, you know, I've done some shit. Uh, did a movie with Robert England. So yeah, man, I, I can't speak for G Raver, but me, 
them pencils, uh, fracture of my skull, all that shit. I would do it all over again. Now, now, Raver, you say that that wasn't worth it. Agreed. Now, don't get me wrong. Everything he said, and I, I, I hold the same of regard course. into deathmatch wrestling. It's not, it's not uh, in it in, in in a whole. I just, I love deathmatch wrestling. I always will. But looking back at that spot, because for you know what it's worth, at the end of the day, my quality of life is altered. Mm-hmm. Talking to uh, guys that have been born with, you know. Uh, you know, not being able to use their hand, whether it's palsy or, or things like that. Um, you know, they, they even said to me, you know, hey, um, I know what you're doing and I know what you're going through and it's tough. But you know how way harder it is for a guy like you who is used to doing something or tying your shoes? I can't. I've just figured out how to tie my shoes. But that's, you know, thanks to uh, my buddy Greg and and uh, he's also in 440. But he... Uh, he he taught me how to kind of you know get it just down. I kind of had to use my, but that's been everything, even the stupidest things that you think that you take for right. granted every day. You know, like putting toothpaste on a mm-hmm, toothbrush. Mm-hmm. Normally, I would hold it. That's not possible for me to do. So I'll put the toothbrush in my mouth, and you know what I mean, like that, and slide it across the top. So like the quality of life in that is it, it was depressing to, to, to hard. There's things that I love doing tattooing. I, I can't really do that anymore because I can't stretch the skin. Mm-hmm. So when I look back at it, I honestly, what bothered me more was that I debated it. And because I looked at myself and said, you know, this is that one spot that makes us what we are. Should we do that? And it being that and having just got back from Japan where I had, you know, not only the most overwhelming feeling in my stomach after I got back because I, I just felt like I did something special. I could have went out on me and Ju Kasai. That that could have been it for me for deathmatch wrestling. And I would have been totally satisfied. But having came back and been so happy and then to have to realize that I have to take all this time off and sit and think about it. And then I have to you know, I don't know if I can, you know, I mean, there's certain things I can't do in the ring now that I've now also adapted to, <laughs> you know, but it's quality of life, you know, and right. that's what it comes down to at the end of the day. If I could have went back and said, no, don't don't put those tubes up there. I wouldn't have done it. Jeff, uh, in making the documentary, because both of those 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 incidents are on on Hardway. What other scenes from the movie stand out to you? of injuries or whatever it may be. Some of the, some of the things that really were impactful for you. Some of it you don't see, but one you do see is the John Wayne Murdoch injury. He was actually wrestling D raver and it was in West Virginia. And the crazy part that you never see in the documentary is the referee that was reffing that night, John Gray. I've known him for years. And he actually came up to me at intermission. He said, man, something just don't feel right tonight in the air. Something feels off. He's like, if anything happens, promise me you'll be there. Cause I've known him forever. I said, yeah, I'll be there. I'll see you. I'll be at ringside anyway. And I'll be filming. So what you see when Murdoch has that horrible gash on his shoulder and the way that happened is the exact way Raver was talking about with the light tubes, they had slid them in and one of the ends had broke off. So it, it, it essentially just became a, a spear. So when he landed on it, it it just sliced his shoulder uh, horribly. And the tape that you see, 
um, them wrapping around there actually came straight out of my little first aid kit that I carry on my belt when I film this stuff. Cause I mean, I'm right there. You're in the front lines. Yeah. yeah and, and, uh, you know, I've got, you know, training and stuff on trauma injuries and things. So I try to help, but, uh, that was bad and, um, it was really bad. And it was so bad at one point it just stopped bleeding and it was very deep. And he was like six, mm. seven hours from home. Um, and we were trying to figure out, you know, what, what, what I need to do. You're in the middle of West Virginia, but he finished the match. Let me, yeah, let me add to the, that. The, because, the crazy thing, he finished the match. Okay. From my perspective at that point, when I realized how hurt he was, I'm, I'm thinking to myself, like, this is it. I'm done. I'm down. I'm literally down there in the footage telling him like, no, like, let's stop because we had set up a barbed wire trampoline. Uh, God, and there was geez. a perch. Yeah. You'll see, you see the scene in the, in the dock at one point. Yeah. So first of all, I was like, I had already looked at the barbed wire trampoline. I'm like, we're not doing a Canadian destroyer off this without landing on something. If we land on just barbed wire trampoline, we're going to like, it's going to suck. So we put a door down. We did, we tried to make it as best as the, as we possibly could with, with the objects that we had. But at that point, I was like, this is it. I'm like, we're done, dude. This is it. He goes, he goes, no, brother. He's like, well, we'll tape it up. And I'm like, you are, you are John Wayne Murdoch. I'm like, man, you are no, sitting here and you're tough. telling me we're going to go up there and do a Canadian destroyer off a perch. And he's like, they've been looking at it all night, brother. They've been looking at it all night. And I'm like, damn it. And he did. <laughs> he went up there. He taped up it, it, and poorly at that. I mean, just what we could do. And then got up there and we, we did a flipping pile driver onto this, which is insane to think about. One of my favorite parts of that whole sequence <laughs> is in the back when you actually see the EMT that the venue hired that, you know, may or may not have known what was going on. He had a dirty old bucket and that's what they had because the showers didn't work in the place. So mm. <laughs> you see, you see him washing out the wound with this dirty old bucket that was oh, laying geez. back in the locker room. So I'm like, yeah, you're definitely going to need to get that cleaned up. Yeah. <laughs> Another great segment of the documentary about the weapons that fans bring to the show is expecting you guys to use them. Some of them are completely ridiculous. We're going to talk about that. But first, a big thank you to Geico. I know most of you guys listening either own or rent your own homes, and I know it's hard work, but you know it's easy. It's bundling policies with Geico. Geico makes it so easy to bundle your homeowner's or renter's insurance along with your auto policy. It's a good thing, too, because you already have so much to do around your home. Just go to Geico.com, get a quote, and see how much you could save. It's Geico easy. Visit Geico.com today. That's Geico.com. There's another statement you guys mentioned it where you were, were fans. And th this kind of probably started in ECW when I was there. Fans would bring... You know, oh, hit hit two cold Scorpio with this, you know, Atari right. twenty six hundred console, haha, or capture him in this fishing net. So you would have fun with that. The, the, the weapons the fans are creating and bringing now are a lot more devastating than a fishing net. Let's just say that. Tell us about some of the 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 weapons they brought. I'm glad you brought this up. Yeah, me too. I'm so glad you brought this up. So let's face it. Talk with Jericho is probably one of the biggest podcasts. I'm not kissing your ass, but thank you. I'm hoping a lot of fans watch this and realize, and I know G. Raver's going to say the same thing. You fans are making shit way too difficult. We can't use things that are going to impale somebody's head off their shoulders. Samurai sword. We can't <laughs> use, you know, uh, so, so uh, one thing that, comes to mind, me and a guy, Dahar Dustin Lee, we took a bump on fluorescent light tubes 
And next thing I know, my eyes and my lips are on fire and we neither one can see where we're going. They had filled the light tubes up with cayenne pepper all the way up. Now, what did they expect was going to happen with this cayenne right. pepper? It came straight up and straight back down on us. So I get it. Fans want to be creative and they want to make shit that they can brag to their friends and all that. But be smart about it. If you want us to use the stuff in the ring, you can't you can't use bazookas, you know, use uh, pop guns. Am I explaining that right? Yeah. G Raver or not? Yeah. Yeah. You absolutely do. And it, and this is kind of where I was going to go with that. And I say it actually in the documentary, I think. Yeah. I, I was, uh, you know, and I, I was blunt about it. And I actually showed an example in the documentary where I actually found one of those bats that you're getting ready to talk right. about. Right. <laughs> and I am. I'm, I'm going to say that same thing because here's the thing. And, and I think you, Chris, you'll understand this. Everything we do wants to be visually appealing. Right. You have a thumbtack bat, tape. Uh, you know, reverse tape around the bat. Put the tacks on the reverse tape. When you hit somebody with that, what's going to happen? Explosion, right? Mm-hmm. Tacks everywhere. Okay, there's the visual. If fans are bringing the exact reverse of that, the opposite, where they've yeah. glued <laughs> thumbtacks down to the bat itself and taken tape and wrapped around it and poked it through so it doesn't go anywhere. That's not visually appealing to me. Right. That there no one's going to be able to take that and go, oh that that probably hurt. Not only are the you know the the pins probably sticking out like an inch. Well, not even an inch, probably a centimeter. Yeah. Yeah. It's, but it's, just it's, 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 it's one of those things. It's the classic wrestling thing. You never want to work with somebody whose work looks like shit and hurts like hell. Right. Exactly. Right? exactly. So your punches look like shit. Well, they're f- killing me, man. That's so right. Yeah. Cut that right out. Yeah. Right. Yeah. I said that to a guy one time, too. He gave me stiff kicks in the corner. They were like, the shit. Oh, you money. What's little, wrong? Yep. Yep. Just little, little tiny kicks and he was kicking the shit out of me and i'm like dude your kicks look like shit and they hurt and no one cares about them (laughs) no one cares about them so so what are some of the other weapons that fans have brought expecting you to use on each other that are just out of control um i have had a machete thrown inside the (laughs) ring and i'm thinking what do they think i'm gonna be able to do with this machete which i did i put it up against somebody's forehead and, and you know uh, I don't mind. I don't mind when people actually cut me with things. So I'll come at somebody. Say if they throw a machete in there, I'll come at somebody uh, that can kick me in the stomach. I'll throw the machete down. I'll drape my arms over the middle rope, and I'll let them get me with it. But I don't want to get other people with it. Gotcha. Uh, I've already got the worst reputation when I go to shows. Guys don't want to wrestle me because they think I'm can pull barbed wire out of my asshole and cut him with it or something. <laughs> right, but, right, right. So machetes is only part of it. I mean, some guys will take a wiffle ball bat and they will melt razor blades into the wiffle ball bat. What the it's f*** do you think I'm going to do with that? <laughs> right. Yeah. Toothpicks and stuff are some of the worst injuries I've seen, like as far as like just infections. Like Murdoch took a toothpick bat and he sent me a picture and he's like, uh, I had to just go to the hospital because I w- had an infection and they had to cut it out. Uh, so, I mean, you know, that kind of stuff's really bad. How about the skewers? I, I, I can't remember yeah. what they're called, but they come out of trees and they got a whole bunch of 
Kenzo, uh, pointy thing. Kenzo. Let's, let's, let's do this. No, no, they come out of trees. Kenzo, come out of trees. <laughs> oh, yeah, the, no, uh, I know what you're talking about. <laughs> <laughs> they, they look like look uh, they look like pine cones a little bit, but they're round and they have a whole bunch of uh, pointy things. I landed on those and it affected my whole arm. Oh my gosh, like brambles or something. What are you holding up there, Raver? I am holding a Kenzon, which has been, that? I believe, they're made for pot of all things flower arrangements. That came out of Tremont's head, and you actually yes. see it in the dock. Well, hold on a second. So, so this thing that he's holding up for people who can't see it's it's a circle with like some some pointy things sticking up. It looks like some made of metal. Looks like something you would like try and clean a, a a pot with if it was if it was burnt with like you know soup on the bottom <laughs> of it to scrub it off. Right. Yeah, it's some it's some Brillo or whatever. But right, exactly. <laughs> in that right. opening sequence of the documentary, that's one of the Kenzons that you see. Uh, getting yeah. smashed into Tremont's head. Right. Talk about the skewers for a second, because I'd never seen this. This is like meat skewers that you put like shish kebab on or whatever, like yakuniku yep. or uh, yakitori. So and sticking that, like a- that's a masada set. It is. My buddy, me and masada was in Japan together, and uh, the guy named Sayazawa who dra- who draws amazing uh, t-shirt designs out of Japan. So a lot of deathmatch workers know who Sayazawa is would take me and Masada out to eat. And these guys would take toothpicks and stick them in their forehead and then light them just to impress us. Well, it did. So uh, Japan has things called a yen shop, which is like our Dollar Tree, our dollar store. And Masada would buy uh, bags of them and stick them in somebody's head and then hit them on the ends and then let them go. And they would just spread out and it would look so awesome. But now... So many people do it. It was done on impact. You can see pictures almost every weekend of somebody using Masada's things. But uh, here's the thing with those. They look vicious, but if you ever saw the point of a, uh, of a skewer, that's what's going in there. And then when they let them go, they just spread out like that. They're awesome. And it's a hell of a visual. And yeah. Go Masada, the OG. The OG. Well, that's what Raver said. The visual of it is amazing, and if it doesn't hurt as much, well, that's a perfect deathmatch weapon then. Right. Right. Correct. I get guys all the time wanting me to mutilate them with, hey, shove that fork all the way into my forehead where it hangs. Why? You know, there's visuals that I can do where you don't have to do that, and then you can go to Thanksgiving dinner and not freak out your grandma, you know? I mean, there's so much other things you can do other than and kill people yeah it's interesting like talking about like just the old school barbed wire like that can be dangerous enough as it is i remember i did the hell in the cell with triple h and he hit me with a barbed wire bat and i, I i'm assuming that the barbed wire had to have been gimmicked in some way shape or form but it's i remember it stuck in my head and when it pulled out it pulled hair out you know, and it's it's hard to get out of that barbed wire. Have you guys ever taken any bumps in there that you kind of got trapped trapped in there? I literally, like I said, just did Saturday. Oh, just this past weekend, yeah. Yeah, I literally did no rope barbed wire. And uh, one of the spots, I mean, a couple of them, we, we did get stuck. But one of the biggest ones, we did a DVD through one of the sides. Uh, when we went through with the uh, Death Valley driver, it, we, we took the whole side down. And as it came down, we, we looked like Funk and Sabu. We were tied mm. up. We couldn't, we had to have them cut us out. It wrapped around my stomach and the whole way around my back. So not only was the bump horrible, but, uh, you know, unfortunately, you I had deal to with wait. That. Yeah, but I, hey, I 
got to lay and sell that, you know? <laughs> well, yeah, that's what you want to do, too. Right. When I first started in death matches, I had a mullet. And then yes. I kept getting stuck in things. So, <laughs> that shit. Right. See? I didn't know the mullet was bad until Joe Dirt came out. And then I was like, this, and got rid yeah. of it. See, you're smart. I remember when I took the, the, the thumbtack bump with Moxley, I was wearing jeans because it was like a street fight, you know, cage match thing. And those things got stuck underneath the like in my pants and just trying to get up was was painful enough. So taking the bump was one thing. But like you said, just the after like I don't even want to move, but you got to stand up and everything hurts because it's jabbing you and sticking you. And the funny thing was um, they took out 68 tacks out of my body and I went back in the dressing room and sat down to take my boots off. And I was like, mother there was one last one stuck in my ass. <laughs> There's always that one last one. There's always that one last one. And that's what made it 69 tacks. <laughs> so when I, next night I said I had 69 tax, people are like, ah, 69. I'm like, no, it's 69 tacks. And I said, I remember Vince was like, well, why don't you just say 68 or 70? I said, because that's not the truth. Right. The real truth is it was 69 <laughs> tacks. I'm not going to lie about it. This is real. As soon as I say 68 or 70, it makes it not real. There's nothing fake about this bump. That's for damn sure. When I first started uh, shooting the dock, I would wear tennis shoes. And I, I did my first first shoot at ringside. And I was like, yeah, this has got to change. Uh, because I could literally feel the thumbtacks, you know, through the soles oh, of the shoes. Going so through the soles wearing, of your shoes, yeah. Yeah, I started, started wearing, like, uh, military boots after that, and it, it helped tremendously. <laughs> I was going to say that because I was like, you know, not only I'm like, do I wear athletics, but um, a perfect example of this, in Beyond Wrestling, I wrestled uh, Nick Gage, and we had, a, uh, you know, like, I don't even remember what the amount of thumbtacks was, but it was a lot. And by the time we were done, I mean, they stick through your your athletic shoes pretty easily. So you feel all these kind of pinpricks. But what people didn't see is like there was like a downstairs basement kind of thing going on. And the more thumbtacks you had on the bottom of your shoes, I like almost slipped and bust my ass because I like the floor was slick. So like it adds that metal slickness. <laughs> right. like, I would, I would have to do that like at intermissions when I would be filming. I would have to go back and pop tacks out because I didn't want to fall with the camera. So I would right. go back and pop the tacks out. That way I wasn't skating around ringside and fall down. So, Jeff, you mentioned you had some problems trying to get distribution for the Hardway documentary. I want to hear about that. But before uh, we get to that, let me share this friendly reminder from the folks at NHTSA. Uh, I'm not going very far. I'm in a rush. It's too uncomfortable. Sometimes I just forget. Don't kid yourself. There's no such thing as a good excuse for not buckling up. If you used any of these excuses or any other ones, you're putting yourself at risk of injury or death in 2019. Nearly 10,000 people were unbuckled when they were killed in crashes. That's 43% of people killed in motor vehicle crashes that were not wearing seatbelts. No matter what kind of vehicle you drive, wearing your seatbelt is the best defense in a crash. Even when you sit in the back seat, you still need to buckle up. And that goes for when you're riding taxis and use ride sharing services as well. Just because you're sitting in the back seat of a limo doesn't mean that you're uh, exempt from wearing a seatbelt. That, that G-Force will take you as well. Same as everybody else. Law enforcement are on the lookout and writing tickets. So why take the risk? Put your seatbelt on because seatbelts save lives. Do the smart thing and buckle up every trip, day or night. Click it or ticket. This has been paid for by NHTSA. 
Jeff, when you sent me Hardway, um, which I sent to Moxie too, by the way, he, he enjoyed it. Awesome. awesome. You said you had some problems kind of trying to sell it to yeah. Netflix. Right? Tell us about that. Well, the problem is, is I did not filter anything. And I, I didn't, I felt if I, I had to censor anything that it wouldn't give justice to the guys that are out there doing it every weekend, every week, every day, whatever. So, you know, Amazon turned it down. Um, they wouldn't show it on prime and they wouldn't stream it because of the uh, brutality. And I think the main part that really gets that is that injury section, because that's hard to watch for people that are not into that. Um, because I mean, you literally see guys uh, bleeding out and everything else, but it's, it's part of the genre. It's part of that style. And that's one thing that I committed to from the beginning, no matter how hard it was for me that I would not filter anything and I would not censor anything because I wanted to truly show how it, how it is. I mean, a, a nice big picture of it. So it's been a challenge. Um, you know, luckily smart Mark, uh, streams it and downloads and everything, but, uh, for me, but it, it, it has been a challenge and it was a labor of love because I mean, it was pretty much self-funded with just a little bit of backing, but hopefully my next project gets, gets a little more, uh, crowdfunding and we can go forth. Right. I appreciate Hardway the documentary so much because there's been other documentaries and things are made small jokes of, or, or there's little puns thrown in there, but Jeff Waldridge did death matches justice with the Blu-ray DVD hard way. He, he not only uh, put us in a, in a good light, but he put his heart into it and, showed people that deathmatch workers are, are people too, if you ask me. No, I agree. And, and it was the, you know, for me, I, I'm already a fan of documentaries. So when I knew that uh, he was doing a documentary and then I started seeing some of the quality of, of, you know, production he was putting out, I'm like, I have to help him. I have to make this happen. I, this is too good. I have to get him in wherever I can and do everything I possibly can to make it as best as it can possibly be. And that was my goal with it. I just, I had, I had too much of a, already a love for it that, that I wanted it to be presented in that way. I agree. And, and you know, the crazy part is I've literally shot it, edited everything by myself. Yeah. And it was like, you know, I, I, I knew these guys forever. So like when G Raver got hurt in Chicago, I was, texting the other guys i was like is he all right what's going on what's happening because the crazy part of it is raver didn't suffer any severe injuries and death matches until i started filming this documentary you know <laughs> no. so i had to recut it because of some of it and i was like man that's uh i hate yeah, it but i see he's a trooper that's he's right trooper he took one for the team. but i really I appreciate that i mean i really wanted to show the full picture of everything and that these guys are not barbarians uh, that they, I mean, they're people. They, they. It's just a different style. I would assume that there, you guys are, are, are lots of camaraderie between all of you because, in in wrestling as it is, we give each other our bodies to to not try and get hurt. But now you guys are adding these inanimate objects, and you never want to go to war with a ladder and or, or a light tube or a you know barbed wire baseball bat or whatever it may be. And I know what the answer is going to be, but I just want to hear it from you guys. Are you taking care of each other? in the midst of smashing light tubes over each other's heads? As much as you can, yes. I'm going to go ahead and say this right now. Deathmatch workers out of the genre are probably the nicest guys you'll ever hey, meet. I know we look like we're the meanest and we're the, we're the viciousness, viciousness, but uh, 
I have been to regular wrestling shows of guys with muscles who treat green guys or right. or other wrestlers like shit. Uh, I've been to uh, shows of high flyers who just think that they are the number one shit. And I'm not mentioning names, and it's not everybody, but I have never been to a deathmatch show where another deathmatch worker is like, I'm so much better than you. Absolutely. To me, deathmatch workers are just, we're, we're just a bunch of guys who want to get along with everybody. We get hated on a lot by the other. Um, that's another thing. Deathmatch workers never hate on other genres because we know that there's a market for it. But uh, we get hated on a lot. But right. I've never heard a deathmatch worker just sit around and say, Oh, that kind of wrestling sucks. And to kind of reiterate that too, filming and doing things. I mean, I've been in all kinds of locker rooms like Pondo has. Deathmatch locker rooms have no ego. I mean, it's literally like a brotherhood, like the, you know, like it's supposed to be. And I mean, they're all open to each other. They talk to each other. It's like a family. And and it's it's really crazy to see if somebody gets hurt, how quick everybody jumps in and tries to help. Or, or try to get them help or try to stop the bleeding or, or whatever the case may be. But, I mean, it's some of the best locker rooms I've ever experienced as far as on the independents go. I would, uh, I would say the same thing, too. There hasn't been a time where I don't think any of us haven't uh, not only, like you said, try to take care of each other. Um, and obviously there's elements that we can't control, but there's still elements even of that that we can. And that's pending on how you go about it. You know, and that there's, there is some science behind some of the stuff that people don't realize, but, and that was part of, you know, why everybody works kind of a different way. There are genres within the genre itself. And, and I've always agreed with that. You know, I, I always wanted to make it a wrestling match. There's not, it's not about those weapons. They will come when they come, but still the structure of it is a match. And we still want to be able to perform and take care of each other and, and try to figure that out and try to figure out the best possible result, even if the elements are there that could possibly injure us or hurt us a little bit, obviously, or out of our hands. And I've always been very critical about how I wanted to do those things, you know, and you'll, you'll wrestle guys that, you know, are it's chaos and you'll wrestle guys that it's more controlled chaos. So. I think that that's what adds. It's a, it's a violent, it's a violent art, art yeah. show. Yeah. A yeah. Vi very violent art show, but it is art none of the same. Well, just like every other form of wrestling, there's a psychology to it, you know, yeah. and not right. just anybody can do it, right? No, no. It's not just guys swinging things, you know, like everybody thinks. I mean, there's an art to it. You're put in the right spot. Last few questions for you guys, present company excluded. Who are some of the, the, the most legendary names in American deathmatch wrestling? For me, like I said, I was tape trading. I wore out a videotape of Mr. Danger Masanaga versus Mr. Pogo. And I'm on <laughs> first name basis with both those guys, which rest in peace, Mr. Pogo. Mr. Pogo, yeah. yeah. I, I would say uh, Necro Butcher was probably the most bravest one that I ever met. If you look up the Masters of Pain 2021, you're going to see seven of the most vicious guys, but uh, put on great shows. And I put those on the Masters of Pain for a reason, because uh, to me, they are they are like what's going on right now. It's, I mean, there's there's younger kids now that are coming up that are that are so 
that, that have such a future in depth matches. There's Nolan Edwards, Akira, yes. Atticus Cougar, and then Shane Mercer is just a beast. Oh, yeah. If you've ever heard of Shane Mercer, he has the power and the death match in his mind. So he's the one that pressed me actually on the yeah. Ladder. The, the fact that Shane has not <laughs> yeah. got signed is is insane to me. Hmm. True, yeah. true. But yeah, to me, uh, I'm more of a like uh, Onita, Cactus Jack from Japan, not here. Uh, you know, I, I always like the the Japanese guys. Mm-hmm. How about you, Raver? Oh, man, it's tough. And, and like he said, it's, uh, as far as Japanese guys, he mentioned some of them, obviously. Uh, Unida uh, Hayabusa, who was very hybrid and in, in, in that sense. And then I think that's where I, I kind of adapted was a lot of the hybrid guys. You know, so when I looked at guys uh, even now, but obviously I watched Pondo over there before I was ever even touching Deathmatch mm-hmm. Wrestling. So anything that came before me, it, that's I have all the respect for in the world, uh, because truth matter is, is even if, uh, you know, I didn't adapt my style based on them, I still looked at them and go, wow, they brought that to the dance. And, and that was cool to see that in that way. Um, and that's what it is. It's those elements. So a lot of guys, too. I mean, I, I think, you know, now, I mean, like he said, there's so many potentially great ones coming up. And now it's like, it's weird because I'm in that position to be like, man, I want to work with these kids. But, you know, like even now I think about the guys that did do that, you know, coming up and then it was your, um, you know, your uh, Matt Tremont's Sicknick, uh, Sicknick Mondo's and, and, and guys like that. And even Matt Tremont, I, I look at him and I'm like, man, you'd see the difference between those guys as they did this a solid career of this. Like I said that to Matt the other day. Can we all three agree that Slack looks like he can chew your arm off, but is one of the nicest yes. guys in the yes. world? Yes, one hundred percent. He's like he's like the number one deathmatch guy right now. I love it. Slash, what a hell of a guy. His name is Slack. Yeah, you see him in the oh, doc, Slack, Chris. He's the one with the mohawk that's bloody. Yeah, and doing the yeah, interviews. Yeah, it's not so. Yeah, <laughs> he closes it out. Yeah, and uh, he's he's a good friend of mine too. He's and great. yeah, he's just. He is just he embodies that um, the, if the, if if ult, you know if Ultimate Warrior was a deathmatch wrestler uh, with, <laughs> with the with that charisma with that oh, with yeah. that and then going in the ring with a you know a, a bruiser bruiser Brody backing and covered in tattoos with a Bam Bam Bigelow like it's, it's total <laughs> like you're walking into a tornado of glass when he's in the ring and then when he comes out of the ring he's like I need a minute and then we'll be ready and then right. you know, he just kind of sets down and he he's there so it's it's like where's my beer where's yeah. my beer Jeff a uh, <laughs> lot less question for you guys Jeff you can start what's the best death match for you Jeff what's the best death match you've seen. Uh, and then while you're answering, I want you guys to think the best death match you guys have been in. So, Jeff, what's the best match you've seen? Ones that people have to see if you're getting into the genre today and maybe you've took a break from it from the years past. Watch the series with Matt Tremont and Nick Gage that they did in Game Changer Wrestling. There's a series of three matches that they did in that feud. Those matches are insanely good, and they are just a credit to the genre, uh, 100%. I, I highly recommend those matches. Uh, it, it, there's a great story that's told. And if you've took a break from death matches in the past and you want to get back into it, watch those matches between Gage and Tremont. What do you think, uh, Pondo? What's the best ma- best death match you've been in? I've got a few, if that's cool. Like uh, me and JC Bailey did a circus death match where we made a 
barbed wire net on top of the ring and we had an 18 foot scaffold with three uh, different tiers and we went off all three tiers. Me and Toby Clive had a hell of a death match. That, that's, that was the one that uh, ended in the pencils, those pencils. And then <laughs> me and Terry Funk for uh, the Insane Clown Posse, Juggalo Championship Wrestling, me and Terry Funk for the Juggalo Championship belt uh, wrestled each other. And are you familiar with Terry Funk? You are, aren't you, Chris? Well, yes, of course. <laughs> I've, heard, I've yeah. heard him a time he, or two. Uh, <laughs> Not at all. <laughs> so you you understand, he said, all right, Pondo, when, when we go out near the crowd, we need to punch each other in the face as hard as we can. And I'm like, all right, Terry, if you really want to. He threw me out to the crowd, punched me in my eye until I saw the purple spots. And, and then when I got my composure, I was like, oh, yeah, I went to punch him. And that old man was jumping back over the guardrail <laughs> getting a raid that motherfucker. <laughs> so, you know, you know that that Terry Funk did that. But uh, I'd say in any match that me and Necro had, I, I loved all of those. How about you, Raver? Man, there's two that come down and I'm literally face to face with them. And it's just because they meant so much to me. The first one was GCW show. Uh, they said it couldn't be done. That was me and Matt Tremont. And leading into that, it was something where it was just, it was this vibe that I had had because I knew that not only that, it was the first time that June Kasai was back in the States because he had not been here in quite some time for whatever reasons, of course. But uh, so we, we, we knew that was already on the high level. We had Slack versus Nick Gage. We're sitting there thinking, man, like, are we going to be, what are we going to do? But we came in so relaxed and, and me and him had what I would believe to be one of my favorite matches, just a great feeling. And what was made it a better feeling was that Matt felt like, you know, I think he felt like he was in a spot where he just kind of, just kind of wasn't sure of himself. And then at that moment, and I didn't know he was going to do that, but he got on the mic and he's like, I, he goes, I, needed that and he, and he's like thank you raver and then he bounced and i was so happy when i went in the back and he felt uplifted in a way so it wasn't about you know uh the stuff in it. it was about making him feel like he should feel sure and then the second was japan jun kasai i mean that that's uh, that's a guy i idolized growing up like watching deathmatch wrestling when i got into the genre seeing him jump off Corrigan Hall, being all, and I still watch all this stuff. Now, having done that match, and not only in the sense where right before we went out, hearing people chant Tony Deppin's name, the first match that was out on the card in Japan, that meant the world to me. As soon as I heard his name being chanted, I'm like, are they chanting Tony Deppin's name in Japan? (laughs) I'm like, that's my friend. That's a guy. I'm like, we're on the same card together. So when I came out and they're chanting your name in Japan, that that means something a, a lot more than, uh, you know, things that you hear sometimes, you know, and you hear guys go over and be like, oh, I just went over to Japan for whatever. But then doing a good job and doing good business was it felt great. And it was a match that I won. Me and G. Raver haven't got to wrestle each other. Yet. Be no, we did. And G. Raver haven't wrestled <laughs> each other yet. We will, guys. It's it's been great. It's been great talking to you guys. And and once again, much respect for a genre Thank I don't you. know a lot about. Thanks for filling Thank in. Be safe, you guys. Be safe for God's sake. Yes. Chris, thank you so much. <laughs> All right, man. Thank you, Thank guys. You. Thank you, Jeff. Thank you.